Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Hey, welcome everyone. In person and online, you can be seated. We're just going to give you a moment to center yourself, practice the rule of life in some silence and solitude. As we allow the Holy Spirit and God to speak to us, whether we're seekers or believers, we want to not do spiritual activity, but we want to encounter the presence of God. So right now, let me give you a moment to exhale. All the ruminating, automatic thoughts that weigh on your mind and heart. The self-talk that distracts and hinders us to change. Bring all those things and bring it to the house of God and bring it to the feet of the Lord. And inhale the presence of God the transcending peace, the promise that when we cast our cares upon Him, that He would give us a peace. because Not because the circumstances change, but because He promises to be there by our side. Jesus Calling, June 12th, Sarah Young. Let me help you through this day. There are many possible paths to travel between your getting up in the morning and your lying down at night. Stay alert to the many choices and points along the way. Being continually aware of my presence, you will get through the day one way or the other. One way is to moan and groan, (laughs) stumbling along with shuffling your feet. This will get you to the end of the day eventually, but there is a better way. You can choose to walk with me along the path of peace, leaning on me as you much as much as you need. There will still be difficulties along the way, but you can face them confidently in my strength. Thank me for each problem you encounter and watch see how I transform trials into blessing. All God's people pray. Amen. This week my son pointed me to a profound song I never knew that existed. And it's on this sweatshirt by Drake. It's called, Why You Gotta Fight With Me at Cheesecake. And I was like, wow, this is profound. Because if there's a couple in here watching online, you know this. Uh, Things flare up in the midst of conversations or with friends, significant others. And you're just like, how many people ever wondered when, you, when this person flares up and just the vitriol comes out of them, you're like, what is wrong? Ask someone next to you, what is wrong with you? I mean, there are these calm, poised, well-educated people, you know, with high SAT scores. But don't you know any other word but these profanity-laced, you know, vitri- you know, it's just like almost a monster comes out. And, and Drake says this, 
You know, why you gotta fight me at Cheesecake? You know I love to go there. Say I'm acting light-skinned. I can't take you nowhere. This place for families that drive Camrys and go to Disney. They don't need to know all our business, what my wife says. I'm like Tara Banks in the video. I don't, I don't sponsor the video or co-sign it because there's some parts of the video that are not things I can endorse. You know what I'm saying? But Tara Banks like, well, she's like yelling at Cheesecake. You, what, you think I'm crazy? Sometimes I do that at Cheesecake. You think I'm crazy? And one time at uh, Mother's Day in Las Vegas, I was like to my wife, you think I'm crazy? I don't care what these people think of me. My wife's like, I can't take him anywhere. I can't take him nowhere. I mean, there are these moments <clears throat> you're just looking at your friend or your spouse or, or your partner and you're just like, what is wrong with you? Say amen, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, amen. And you know exactly, and sometimes this, you know, flawedness and self-centeredness is obvious to the people around us, except to us, clearly. Because if it keeps happening, that's why we can't take you nowhere. That's what my family says to me at the movies and restaurants. And clearly, um, there are frameworks for this, people say, in psychology, in the age of therapy, therapeutic, you know, there's cognitive behavior therapy. And I'm all for counseling in, in the age of development of psychology. We have Enneagrams. We have, the, you know, the Myers-Briggs. We have all kinds of tools for self-awareness. You know, Freud would call it the ego, the id, etc. But let me just tell you, before psychology and even evolutionary biology, there's something called theology. Tell someone theology. Which in the academy, many have deemed tertiary and, you know, anecdotal. I just want to say that it came before the two others. Maybe we threw the baby with the bathwater too soon because right in the book of Genesis, the Bible has a word for what this is. Just one word, three letters. Let's play. Let's play. What is it called? Sin. Tell someone next to you what it is. Sin. No, no, no. And a lot of times, in the, you know, to frame this the psychological therapeutic framework of our culture of self-help, and I'm all for self-help, and I'm all for counseling, but self-help is rooted in the issue a lot of times to explain why you're doing what you're doing. And I call it the, the malaise of misfortune. What, what, what's wrong with you? And the person goes, I was just having a bad day. Is it that boring, my son? <laughs> Because so I'm used to this, Dad. I can't take you nowhere. I can't take you to church. Now, I mean, the Malaysian misfortune says, I was having a bad day. I have some pressure at work. You know, someone spilled something on me. I was just having not a good day. And so when misfortune takes place, we, ex we really excuse and enable toxic behavior because it's understandable that we're acting this way, when the truth is you don't just act this way because you had a bad day. And the truth is it goes to the core of really the Garden of Eden before psychology, before biology, and it goes to the center root of self-centeredness 
that hurts ourselves and other people. And in the age of psychology, that gets lost. And so you can go to counseling forever, and it won't. No matter, no you know, degree of self-help will ever be able to cure sin. Right? Because sin is rooted in self-centeredness. To be free from self, you can't do more self. You need to be what? Saved. Tell someone, you need to be saved. And if you, you know the people next to you that really need the, those traits, you need, be, you need to be saved. That's why you need Jesus. And, and what I want to talk about is why the timeless message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, starts at Genesis. But no amount of self, we don't need self-help, we need salvation. Because the more self-tools and the more self-awareness and the more lenses you look through from the ivy tower to whatever cultural lenses you discover, in order not to harm others or self-harm ourselves, there's a part of us that's sinful, that core part needs to be rescued and redeemed and, and, and no the self, we can't be the hero of our own journey. And so today I'm going to talk about how the gospel saves us, saves us from the excuses we make about ourselves and others. Someone said amen. Because without this component, the church loses its power. You know, people have asked me, have you studied psychology? Yes. Am I a proponent for mental health? Yes, I've written about it. It's all over the internet. People ask me about mental health most of the time. But I go, that is really not, it's a tool and it's a lens in which you look through, a schematic lens. But in order to change the root of the problem, we talked about this a few weeks ago, something fundamentally powerful has to happen at the core of the problem. And if you're honest with yourself, sometimes you, you act like you're in cheesecake or you're somewhere, you don't even know why you're acting that way. And you're talking to yourself, what are you doing? And I, the words are flying out of my mouth to my wife and to my kids. I'm like, what the heck are you doing, bro? And you can't even stop it. And you could try to peel the layers off, and we're gonna go into that more today using different lenses through culture and scripture. But that's at the core. How do we save ourselves? Because we're making excuses, really, in the end of the day through these lenses a lot of times. And the power of the gospel is robbed because we're just telling people, well, we just got to work on it. Self-help, self-empowerment, self-fulfillment. It's not going to do it. And that's what this text is about. So let's go to this passage in Mark 2. And you're going to find a Jesus in this passage that's therapeutic and healing, but the physical part of this man being paralyzed is the last thing. It's ancillary to Jesus' mission, and Jesus really goes to the heart of the issue in the malaise of misfortune, 
And if you look at this text, it says, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat, and the man was lying. On when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, read it with me, Son, what? Your sins are forgiven. And the disciples are, and, and the, their friends in the rooftop are thinking, what? And the Pharisees there, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? <laughs> I mean, wasn't the point, the main mission for this paralyzed man and, and his friends was to find healing? Right? The urgency was the paralysis. The urgency was the physical healing that they were seeing. But Jesus doesn't euphemize the problem at hand. He doesn't allow the malaise of misfortune, the poverty of this man's physical limitations, to stop him from addressing Sin. And a lot of times at the church, we can fall into this temptation that this is the reason why you could find Jesus. And a lot of times it becomes heretical. Well, if you're poor, Jesus will make you rich. That's the prosperity gospel. Well, if you're hurting, Jesus will heal you. That sometimes could go to the therapeutic gospel. You get what you need if you come to the church, like we're a business, that we're selling products. <clears throat> but Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus doesn't move into the therapeutics enhancement business. He takes a man that's been paralyzed and addresses the most pertinent issue for the reason he came, and that's his heart, the condition of his heart. Jeremiah says that the heart, the human heart, is the most deceitful above all things. This is why people gaslight you, or why we gaslight others. Sometimes we act like nothing happened. Now, we're not manipulating. And gaslighting is the most deepest reflection and manifestation of original sin. You are so unwilling to admit fault. And sometimes when we arrive to this place, we forget that deep within, Jesus looks at the heart. And a lot of times we don't want to pick on wounds when someone's positionality is impoverished. And we want to go there. We go, that's rude. The friends probably thought that. The, the crowd probably thought that. What is the point of bringing this heart condition in? Well, that's the gospel. The good news of the gospel is first and foremost, redemption from the self. Apart from that piece, there's no power of transformation. Healing is a manifestation from that. Physical healing, emotional healing, everything stems from that. For example, in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the series, Eustace is introduced. And this is my favorite character in Narnia. In the voyage of the Don Treader, Eustace is introduced with this opening line. There was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, because he really was a scrub. 
And he almost deserved it. He is the only child of what Lewis describes as very up-to-date and advanced people who sent him to a progressive mixed school. Eustace calls his parents by their first names. Right there, that's a problem. Harold, Harold and Alberta. His parents are vegetarians, non-smokers, teetotalers. They don't, they don't drink. That's another problem. For Lewis, anyway, because he drank his gin and smoked his uh, cigars. Pacifists and wear unspecified special kind of underwear. Okay, that's weird, too. But Lewis is drawing a parallel of this, this sophisticated sort of, you know, part of culture that he was critiquing that he was also part of. And so Eustace is this annoying, self-centered monster that... Edmund and Lucy have to live with for the summer in the, you know, the, the fourth part of the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And as they get transported to Narnia, Eustace is tempted by treasure of gold and glory. And he goes into a dragon's lair and he studied the economy and the, you know, the British economy and government, but he never, he was weak on dragons, Lewis says. And so he goes to this dragon's lair and he puts on a bracelet that he sees on a dead person and he takes it literally off of him and pushes him aside and says, well, you don't need that anymore, he says. And he puts it on himself and he becomes a dragon. He becomes, Lewis says, a fascinating sort of allegory of, of sin that when he fell asleep putting the bracelet on of gold and his dragonish thoughts, he became a dragon. And as he wakes up, he realizes that he can't change back into being a boy. And that bracelet that is in his arm now because he's so large, it's so painful, and he tries to peel it off, take it off, but he can't. And in many ways, that's really who we are. The times we flare up, that's when our pride flares up. Paul calls it the flesh. Saint Augustine called it original sin that stems from the Garden of Eden. That pride that says, I know better. Tell someone next to you, I know better. How many people would think they know better than the person next to you? I do. I know better. I'm just a little bit smarter. Well, for me, I think I'm a lot smarter. Right? So the degree of pride that flares up. I, you know, I know. I know my stuff. I'm smart. I know how to navigate through this. That, this is the Garden of Eden. This is the tree of knowledge you know, of good and evil, of me thinking that I can manipulate my way into my agenda that's the part that flares up. And that's why we're trying to control. It's a lust for control. If my partner would just do what I want and leave me alone, everything will be all right. That would be nirvana, where you don't bring up things at cheesecake. Right? My way or the highway. And sometimes we can pretend in this, on the surface to be this, these nice people, but that's not who we are. There's a Eustace 
in all of us. Tell someone, you're useless. That's Lewis's allegory in the Don Treader, is that there's a useless in the human condition. This is really Augustine's theology of original sin and Paul's idea of the flesh, that there's a monster, a beast, Thomas Kempis talks about in the imitation of Christ. There's a beast, a eustace, a dragon in all of us. And what does a dragon do? It's so humongous. It's, it's ego. And it breeds fire, right? That's sometimes what happens when we talk to the significant person that flares up. They breed fire. And it, that toxicity ends up harming not only ourselves, but the people we love. Our kids, our friends, our parents, our families. And in extension, the world. Sin, starting from this garden to the city, is what's really at the core. That's what's, what, what is hurting and harming not only the people we love, but the world. That's why we're poor. And this condition, no matter how much Eustace, as the dragon peels his skin off, The dragon sin continues to grow. And that's why counseling is not the answer, it's not the silver bullet to change. It's a map, it's a lens, and it's tools that you use after transformation. You need something much more powerful, right? So the first thing, how does the gospel save us from making excuses for ourselves and others? First lesson we learn is what? Jesus, what? doesn't allow, read it with me, self-pity. And self-pity is the preservation of original sin. Don't you feel bad for me? Don't you understand what I'm going through? Everybody's going through something. Not to say your story doesn't matter, but self-pity is that whiny, that manipulative voice that says, come on, you have it so good, I have it so bad. Can you give me a break? Can you excuse this behavior? And you feel bad, because everybody here, you're, you're sort of nice sometimes. You're like, you know what? Yeah, you know, okay, I, yeah, you had a bad day. That's why you beat her. That's why you beat your son, right? Because you had a bad day. A lot of pressure at the office. Yeah, that's why. And domestic abuse takes place because of these gaslighting impact on self-pity. We feel sorry for the person. Now the person harming others, we feel sorry for. That's gaslighting. But Jesus doesn't allow self-pity to allow sin to go unaddressed. Now, if a church doesn't address sin, it's a dangerous church. Because our center message is not, we'll help you succeed. It's, we'll help you get saved from the dragonness, from the self-centeredness, from the ego that's harming you and others. And so Jesus goes straight to the heart, no matter 
even through the, mis- the malaise of misfortune. At times, sort of makes us antsy about addressing personal responsibility. And without going to sin, if sin goes unaddressed, there's no salvation. You can't get good news without bad news. It doesn't happen. So that's the first thing. And my question to you today is, if you allow sin to go unaddressed, and I'm not saying like rebuke everybody. Yeah, that's sin. I see it in you. I'm just saying that Jesus doesn't allow sin, self-pity to allow sin to go unaddressed. And if we want to be excused of of toxicity because of what we're going through, because of self-pity, then that will be the captivity and who you will be in your life, enabling, will enable others and ourselves from real change. And we need to pray the Holy Spirit pinpoint the areas of self-pity in our lives. Because if you don't, if self-pity doesn't die on the cross, because that's where sin goes. If it doesn't die with Christ, it can't rise with Christ. Because no matter what misfortune has fallen on you, whatever moral injury that you're going through, does not mitigate, does not abdicate sin and personal responsibility. Without personal responsibility, there can't be change. There can't even be counseling. How can you own your own self if you can't own what you've done to others and yourself? You can't. You can't change. That's the first thing. Second, so... So when Jesus addresses your sins are forgiven, right, there's a whole big deal about who can forgive sins. And Jesus says that the Son of Man, which in Greek is servant, serving humanity, not the Son of God. Jesus never addresses himself as the Son of God, which is a prophetic vision from Daniel, right, of power. Coming in the second coming, the first coming, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, calls himself the servant of men and women. Servant of humanity, to serve. And to serve humanity, Jesus says, he has to tackle sin. And so how does he do it? Well, let's go back to Eustace and the dragon, which is a pow- one of the most powerful imageries of going from lion, witch, and wardrobe. And I would really challenge everybody in the summer, if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia series, I want to start a book club for the Chronicles of Narnia. And we're going to read it summer together. It will convict you and save you. It's not just for kids. It, when you read it as adults, it's more powerful. And you can watch the movies, you can read the books, but it's really powerful. And so let, let's go to Eustace and the dragon. And then Aslan, who is Jesus, in the allegory of the series, in Narnia, Jesus in this world. And when you come to this place... Eustace found no matter how many layers of dragon skin he managed to peel off himself, he was still a dragon. And then Lewis says, then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid, Eustace says, of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. 
And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it, it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you ever picked up the scab of a sore place, it hurts like a bilio. That's British in 1940. But it's such a fun way to see it coming off. Now, that is a beautiful picture of salvation. Now, you can be the hero of your own journey and try to peel off the layers of self-harm, toxicity in your life. And you could enter counseling, you could read books, all you want. This therapeutics of salvation, and it's never going to get it done. Because you can't be free of self through self-help. You could only be free of self through salvation. And Eustace says something very profound, that he had to lay, he, he didn't want to be saved. And how many people want to be saved from anything? I don't want to be saved from cheesecake either. I don't want to be safe from my pride. Who likes to apologize? Who likes to repent? Who likes to take personal, I mean, does personal responsibility ever feel good? I don't like taking out the garbage. I don't like to address the garbage of my own life. Who likes that? That's, that's the point. It's, this part is not supposed to be easy or comfortable. And Eustace has to lie down, and Aslan comes with his claws, the only strong enough cloth to slice the dragon skin off of him. And it says that it's painful. That's what salvation feels like. It has to be painful. The toxicity, the sin, the stubbornness, the dragonness hurts. And so we have to come to that table and what? We have in obedience, lie down and trust Jesus. And this passage trusts Aslan. So, the second lesson we learn as we move here is what? How do we, how does the gospel save us from making excuses? Well, in this text, Jesus moves the conversation from what? From self-help to salvation. Self-help to salvation. Now, in the age, I said in the beginning of psychology, of therapeutics, the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, all kinds of tests of self, 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 invest in self. Self-help is a multi-billion dollar industry. Jesus comes back to the ancient truth, the problem that enter through the Garden of Eden, the tree. He brings it back, the conversation, a courageous conversation to sin. Without that, you cannot change. When you, in the end of Narnia series of, of this particular book, Eustace tells Edmund of his sinful ways and how Aslan saves him. And then something profound as we wrap up here today, Edmund says to Eustace, says, Eustace, you're an ass, but I was a traitor. Oh, I read that part of the, like, wow, that goes deep. Isn't that the gospel compounding? Like, we don't judge other people for their sinfulness. 
but we see the grace in their lives because Aslan comes into their lives, as Jesus comes into ours and saves us. Edmund is not, oh yeah, you are an ass. Edmund says, you're just an ass. I was a traitor. Aslan saved me from betraying my brothers and sisters. You're just annoying. So that's the problem with self-help. I can help you get up on, from your ass, but I can't save you from being an ass. The gospel has to save you from it at its core. And, and so if we don't tell people what Jesus saves us from as Christians, how would anyone know what the gospel actually is? People wouldn't know. Without... Edmund's powerful statement of sharing his own flaws and his story, the power of the gospel compounds. And a lot of times that echo doesn't go any further because we don't share our story, what Jesus saves us from. And if we forget what Jesus saves us from, the story stops. Stand with me. I want to read you just one part as we close today. Just go back to the last quote in Chronicles of Narnia. Lewis says in the end, It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say, From that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. But to be strictly accurate, he, be, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. Tell someone there are relapses. You know about that, right? There were still many days when he would become very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. So in the gospel, Jesus begins the cure of that toxicity, that insidious part of the heart that harms others. And Jesus comes gently, but with a lot of tenacity, rips apart, and it hurts to admit that I'm sinful, that I've harmed others, that I'm beastly, hurts. But apart from addressing sin and repenting of sin, there cannot be grace or salvation. That's the gospel. And without going there for all of us, we can't share our stories with others. And I pray that the gospel would compound today because we would, as Paul says, boastly boast, courageously boast in our weaknesses so that his strength could be made perfect in our weakness. Amen? Will you lift your hands with me today and pray for Aslan to come and allow the cure to begin. Whether you're a seeker or whether you're a believer. Let's make this our prayer. I am not ashamed.
Father, we come before you this afternoon and we come back to the cross where it all begins and where it all ends and where renewal and the cure begins. God, we want to become people that brings life to others, that can love others well. But self-help and no matter how strong our will, and no matter how hard we try, we'll fail at changing ourselves and even loving others. Our egos would get in the way. Jesus, you went onto the table and emptied yourself through kenosis. Though you had all the power, you were right in every way. And you showed us a better way to love. Lay down your rights. You lay down your life. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God because when sheep die, they're about to be slaughtered. They cry. They don't make any sound. This powerful lion became a sheep out of love. He laid down his life. If we're going to learn from anyone or trust anyone with the most vulnerable places of our hearts and of our lives, the most insecure places, the most painful places, it's Him that we can trust. It'll hurt, but only just enough to bring healing and wholeness, to save us from ourselves. And I pray, as Edmund said to Eustace, when people share their brokenness with us, we'll tell them, well, you're just an ass, but I'm a traitor. 
Aslan saved me from worst. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hi, everyone. Happy Sunday. So glad to see you all here. My name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully, which you can do using Venmo, Zelle, Chase QuickPay, or PayPal. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. We have an Instagram handle and a Tumblr page at 180BRG, where you can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the Word of God. Amen. Next, there are devotionals on sale at the 180 Cafe. They're great to help you get in the habit of praying and connecting with God every day. Sometimes I find it hard to find, form the words to pray, but these devotionals have been so helpful and inspirational. They're available at the 180 Cafe and it's an honor system. So you can purchase them via Venmo or QuickPay. Speaking of prayers, we have our prayer hotline. We invite you to use this resource to ask for prayer for anything or anyone in your life and it's completely confidential. You can text 5397PRAYER or email prayer at 180church.tv and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. Prayers are so powerful and I can't tell you how many times my prayers were heard and answered. So I want to encourage you to get out there and pray and ask for prayer for where two or three are gathered in his name, God is with them. Yes. So let's talk about social media. There, these are the ways you can stay connected with us throughout the week. We have several media outlets from Facebook to Instagram to Dr. Sammy's Twitter page and even our YouTube page. We are very active on social media and there are multiple ways to share the message with your friends and family and also stay connected in the community. Let's not forget about our YouTube live stream. We know that things pop up and it's not always possible to physically attend Sunday service, but not to worry because Sunday service is being live streamed weekly on YouTube, so you never have to miss another service. So say hello to the YouTube viewers. Hello. And it's also a great way to share the gospel with friends and family. Next up is small groups. Small groups are a great way to process what you heard on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone and small groups have been an amazing way to know that we are in this together. It's also a great way to um, get to know each other, grow deeper in, with, in relationship with each other and reflect and apply sermons to our daily lives. And honestly, it's so much fun. I look forward to it every week to meet with the group and you know, we just have fun doing life together. So that's great. Um, adult groups meet on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Young adult groups meet on Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. 
College Fellowship meets on Mondays at 7.30, and if you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Now, this is the exciting one. Are you, are you guys ready? Okay, I, I want to introduce 180 merch, okay? I know, you've been all waiting for this. It's not exclusive anymore. You can purchase your 180 merch at the 180 Cafe. There's a variety of tops in different fabulous colors, all donning the stylish 180 um, emblem and other cool designs. Like some of them have like cool designs on the back. Not mine, but others. Um, so you can get one of those. Uh, after service, you can head straight to the 180 Cafe to purchase your new 180 shirt, hoodie, or sweatshirt. And they can be purchased with the same honor system as the devotionals. If you have any questions, you can speak to our merch designer, Andy, wherever he is. Oh, he's in the back. There he is. Um, and he can help you. And I can't wait to twin with all of you once you purchase your merch. Okay, next we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be on May 15th at 12.30 p.m. We will be meeting at the East Pintum in Central Park. So be on the lookout for an email to RSVP. Let's pray for beautiful May weather and an awesome time of fellowship. Also, let's start thinking about the people in our lives who we can invite and share the good news with. Uh, now, for those of you with the heart to serve or feel like you're being led to serve, we have children's ministry. We need volunteers to serve, love, and teach our church's youngest members. They are really doing meaningful and soul-filling work there. My children are learning that they are God's treasures, like I told you last time. And also, my daughter always gets super excited for Sunday school. She says, oh, she loves Sunday school, so they're having a good time there. Um, they are building relationships and growing up in this community feeling loved and known, and that's really special. So if you want to be friends with our community's littlest members and be loved by me and other parents, go see Michelle Kim or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have cafe volunteers. Coffee brings me so much joy, and I know it brings you guys joy too. So you can share some joy by serving up a cup of coffee before service. No barista skills are required. So if you want to serve or impress people with your latte art, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, we have greeting volunteers. Who doesn't love a friendly face when they walk in? I know everybody does. And if you want to be that friendly face that brings smiles and makes people feel welcomed, this is for you. If you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. Now those are all of our announcements we have today.